Let's go to the movies. Hello and welcome to episode 9. Today I'm going to be talking about Nomadland and Minari. Nomadland is currently on Hulu and Minari is currently available for purchase video on demand. And this is going to be the last episode before the Oscar nominations. So that will be coming up in the next week. And we'll be able to react to all of that and kind of see what else we have to catch up on. But we are going to go ahead and get started today with Nomadland. All right, so Nomadland is currently on Hulu, as I mentioned at the top. It has a rating of 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it was directed by Chloe Zhao. So the plot of this movie is it follows a woman who had to leave her home and town after this big corporation closed and the town was essentially just there because of this company. So basically the town just stopped functioning because there was no profit coming in and eventually the zip code was dissolved, which essentially forced everybody out of this area. And this woman also recently had lost her husband, so she really has nothing literally at all that's going to be keeping her here and she has to take gig jobs and travel around the country in her van living as a nomad as she kind of tries to figure out her next step in her life um chloe zhao director she hasn't done too much her uh, two previous works include songs my brothers taught me and the writer and then she has an upcoming movie in the works the eternals which is a marvel film so those are kind of her biggest projects at the moment. At the Golden Globes, this movie did win Best Picture Drama and Best Director. There is a very, 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 very high probability that those will be the things that it might win at the Oscars. Um, as I mentioned, the Oscar nominations are coming out very soon, and so we'll be able to get a clear idea of that direction once those are released. So this movie was based on a 2017 nonfiction book by Jessica Bruder, which was called Nomadland, Surviving America in the 21st Century. And Francis McDormand and Peter Spears, who he was a, one of the producers of the film, optioned the film rights to the book back in 2017. And they approached Chloe Zhao after the 2017 Toronto Film Festival, after they saw one of her films being released there. And then... In March 2018, she actually agreed to write and direct the movie, and then filming began in fall 2018. And the filming of this movie took only four months. During the filming, Chloe Zhao was actually in pre-production for The Eternals, so she was kind of tackling both things simultaneously. The movie premiered on September 11th, 2020 at the Venice Film Festival, and then it had a one-week limited streaming release on December 4th and a wide release on January 29th, 2021, and then it ultimately landed on Hulu on February 19th, which is where I watched it. So as I mentioned, Zhao was in pre-production for The Eternals, so she kind of secretly was shooting this movie over that four-month time span while she was working at Marvel and the cast and the crew, they actually lived out of vans during the production. It was only under 30 people for the cast and the crew it was a very small group, which kind of allowed them the freedom to do that. They actually did follow real life nomads. Um, just this actual 
section of the culture that lives like this on a day-to-day basis. And I think they found that pretty intriguing and wanted to try to capture the true essence of that. So kind of how they did try to capture that was the producers would actually arrive on location well in advance and they would record videos on their phones of people that they met who were living this nomad lifestyle who would then become eventual characters. So they would send those videos to Zhao and she would choose who she wanted to cast and she would revise her script accordingly. So... I assume in the script she probably just had some placeholder scenes and then once she figured out who was going to be in those scenes, she kind of reworked it for her overall narrative that she was building. So it obviously creates a very naturalistic approach and um, yeah, as I was saying, it creates that naturalistic approach to filming part of the movie shot in an actual outdoor nomad gathering and like mcdormand's character actually did work among employees at locations that they were filming at like at amazon that was one prominent scene like francis mcdormand was literally packaging up amazon boxes so in all reality somebody who received an amazon package in 2018 it was from her essentially (laughs) which i think is cool and we did kind of note that when we were watching we were like is she actually doing the job because this does not look staged Or, like, made up. Like, it looks like someone just took a camera in and was watching these people work. So, yeah, real-life people and the non-professional actors guided this story. And McDormand's character kind of anchored them all to the narrative. Because of the way it was shot, it definitely had a documentary and a film vibe to it. Unlike, initially, for me, it was kind of hazy on if it was supposed to be a documentary, if it was supposed to be just a fiction. It, um, it was also hard to know like what was true versus what was fictionalized in terms of the real-life people because one of the main characters in like the Nomad Compound, he's an actual guy who teaches people how to do this. So then it became this weird blur of like, well, when does the real-life person stop and like the movie version start? And I think in a lot of instances with these characters, there was no, like, his real-life persona stops here, and now he's portraying this other type of person. I think for the most part, they all just kind of were themselves, which I think is really interesting that they did that. And I was reading about it a little bit, and I read that Zhao took this approach because she wanted to be able to weave a narrative of a fictionalized character, and she did want to take some liberties with the supporting characters, that the documentary style of filmmaking would not have allowed for. So, in, for example, one of the characters that Frances McDormand encounters along her journey, uh, you find out that she has cancer and that she's supposed to die soon. And then in, towards the end of the film, she does die. And I don't think that that person is dead in real life, as just an example of kind of how they wanted to kind of shape the narrative a little bit. And so in that case, just kind of basing it loosely off of this person. Um, Because of the reality, you got a little bit of real moments, too. Like, just as, like, a side note, something that I thought was cool. When she's working in one of the 
jobs that she has. I can't remember specifically which one it was at this point. But she's just talking to some of the workers. And this one guy's telling her about a tattoo he wants to get. And he's like, oh, yeah, so I want to get a big G here. And then I'm going to get a bulldog right here. (laughs) And I was just like, that's cool. Sidebar, I went to UGA. So that's why that's so cool to me. And that easily had to have been just some random guy telling her this. Because that's too random of a school to script that. But then that's kind of what makes that cool is you get those moments that you wouldn't have thought to script otherwise. Now, aside from the storytelling aspect of this movie, the movie was definitely beautifully shot. It is very aesthetically pleasing to watch. You get a lot of the landscape and a lot of sunset, sunrise. You get some nice water shots, desert. You kind of feel like you're out in the middle of the wilderness and like the world with these people. And it does tackle an interesting facet of life and kind of takes a glimpse at a population of people who live in this way that you don't really consider ordinary. But it's kind of interesting to explore this way of life from their perspective and why it's so beautiful to them. And then from Frances McDormand's character's point of view, it felt like she was just really battling with trying to figure out if this is a world she belongs into or if she needs to just move past it and live a quote-unquote normal day-to-day live-in-a-house type of life. She clings to the past because she's trying to learn how to move forward from it. And I think this journey is emphasized and it progresses by those that she does meet along the way. So because by the film's ending, you kind of see her returning to her abandoned home. And it kind of came across to me as like her finally accepting that it's in the past and that she's ready to continue her journey forward. Like, she doesn't really have to cling to it as much as she had been. And I also feel like at this point, she also learns that in the nomad way of life, there really is no goodbye, but rather just to see you down the road. And I think her returning to her former home helps her really understand that way of thinking and that way of living. And it feels like she can move past it without having to truly close the chapter and, like, say goodbye to it and just kind of put an end to it, like... She can easily just come back whenever, take a little visit. There you go. I think that kind of helps bring her some closure that she didn't really know how to handle before really embracing this way of life. And I think uh, for sure that this movie will get Oscar nominated in probably a lot of categories just because of the way it was filmed. Um, I know it's probably going to get a Best Picture nomination and I'm just honestly still trying to process that potential of it being a best picture winner um in my view of a best picture winner I try to look at it as something that shapes your way of viewing film in a new way or kind of progresses the medium in some way so my initial reaction is just that maybe the style in which it was made and that the fact that it highlights a forgotten group of people is what makes it stand out But again, we'll just kind of have to see where that one goes. Um, Something final to note about this movie that is a little more sad, a little more somber. And it was recently announced this month, this month being March of 2021, that the production sound mixer Michael Wolf Snyder had died by suicide at age 35. And he had began his career in 2011 as a boom operator. And Zhao and Francis McDormand both noted that he was such a strong presence on set and they would never forget him 
and that he truly brought the film to life through his work. So that was really unfortunate news to read about and really sad to hear someone that seemed so passionate and excited about their work still kind of feeling trapped in their headspace. And just a reminder that if you or need help or you know someone that does need help, to just reach out to anybody because everybody is here to help and listen. And just sending thoughts and prayers and good vibes to his family. So sorry to end that on a sad note, but I did think it was kind of important to share because that's definitely going to shape the way that this cast and crew perceives this film and any accolades that it receives moving forward. So I think it'll be kind of interesting to see how that unfolds with the Academy Awards coming up. And on that note, we will leave it there. That is Nomadland. Check it out on Hulu. So the next movie on today's episode is Minari, which is currently available for rental as a video on demand. It has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 98%. It was directed by Lee Isaac Chung. This movie follows a Korean-American family that moves to Arkansas in the 1980s to start a farm and pursue the American dream. It is mostly in Korean, so it does have subtitles. Just be cautious of that if you aren't a big fan of subtitles. However, don't be afraid of that either. Give it a chance. So Lee Isaac Chung has directed just a few things. Most recently, he has directed a documentary called I Have Seen My Last Born, and then features called Abigail Harm, Lucky Life, and Manyuran Gabo. Uh, I have not heard of any of these personally, but I would be interested to see some of them after having watched this most recent film. Um, As of the time of this recording, this movie has won the Golden Globe for Best Foreign Language Picture. And just because it's so adorable, I'm noting that the young child, Alan S. Kim, did win the Critics' Choice for Best Young Actor. And it's the most adorable acceptance speech ever. So look that one up if you want a feel-good video to watch. So as I mentioned, this was directed by Chung, and he also wrote the screenplay. It is an autobiographical take on his upbringing. Screenplay was written in 2018, and then filming began in July of 2019. It was filmed in Oklahoma. And it was going to be filmed in Arkansas initially, since that's where it's based, but Arkansas did not have the production infrastructure that was required for a movie of this budget. Uh, Something else that I read that I found interesting was that Atlanta was actually considered as a film location, but the filmmakers stayed away due to the controversial heartbeat bill that was going on at the time. Um, So yeah, I do find that kind of interesting because I remember hearing a lot about films and filmmakers saying, we're we're not going to come to your state while you're potentially going to be passing this bill. But I feel like I never actually saw any follow-up of projects that blatantly chose not to come here. So that was kind of interesting to me. And we will get a little bit more into some of the film specifics in just a moment. But just to kind of wrap up the general backstory of the production process, um, the movie did have its world premiere at Sundance in January 2020. It was originally set for a limited theatrical release in December of 2020, but of course the pandemic delayed that. And it ended up having a wide release on February 12th, 2021 in select theaters and virtual screenings through A24's website. 
It was ultimately released to video on demand on February 26, 2021, but I do believe it is still in some select theaters, again, at the time of this recording. That should be accurate. Uh, So as I was mentioning, it was filmed in Oklahoma. It was shot in very high temperatures in July. I was reading about it, um, that the AC could not be run during the shoots in the trailer that they were shooting in. So it ended up getting really smelly. And so that became just kind of like an inside joke with the crew and the cast that basically like this film shoot stunk. You know, that joke. (laughs) The filming lasted only 25 days and it was being edited together as it was being filmed in order to meet the Sundance Film Festival deadline. Uh, Another little fun fact that I was reading, just how I mentioned that it was on a virtual screening through A24's website. When that production card came up at the beginning of the movie, James, my husband, was like, hey, wait, didn't A24 do Parasite last year? And I was like, oh, I don't think they did, but they might have. So I looked it up and found out that they didn't, but people think they did. And especially someone who thought they did was one of the executives of A24. So when Parasite won Best Picture last year, one of the executives was standing up, celebrating and cheering, being like, yeah, one of our movies won an award. And someone had to finally be like, hey, wait, we didn't actually make that movie. (laughs) And so I thought that was kind of funny. I didn't realize that until I looked up specifically about A24. Um, And I guess the only assumption as to why Parasite was produced by this company was just that A24 usually gives a stage to movies from other languages and other cultures. (laughs) So it kind of just seemed like it made sense. But I thought that was just a little fun fact. Um, I did think this movie was very, very, very good. The cinematography specifically to me was very striking. And it made me feel like I was just right out there in the fields with this family. It was like kind of that cinematography where it was like you could feel the sun on you and you could like, you could be put right in that situation of hearing the crickets chirping and all of that type of like outdoor aesthetic that you get when you're actually outside. It just had like a warmth that kind of enveloped you. And I always like movies like that because I feel like it kind of really puts you in the story. And then the music went along really well with it. It kind of swept you through the scenes and kind of helped progress from story to story. And I also thought it was really interesting to follow a family who had just completely two different perspectives of what the American dream was. So you had the, the mom and the dad, Jacob and Monica. Jacob wanted to move out to the country and live on this farm. And Monica just still wanted to kind of be in the city and close to a community and friends and hospitals. Because you learn that the son, David, who is played by the little Alan S. Kim, has a heart condition. So it kind of worries her that they're so far away from a hospital. And because of these like conflicting views of how their lives should be, they butt heads a lot in the movie. They fight a lot. And the way they portrayed that was that it was kind of seen mostly from the perspective of the kids who you would kind of overhear and they would also try to diffuse the tension between the parents they would uh, run to the back room and make little paper airplanes that said like please stop fighting don't fight and like throw the paper airplanes into the kitchen while they were fighting and I think that because of the way that they kind of handled that perspective you never got the full 
backstory on exactly what happened that caused them to move this from the city because you only got what they were yelling at each other like stuff they already knew about each other but you kind of just pieced together kind of what happened you knew that they didn't have a lot of money so you kind of just assume something went down that caused them to lose some money but I think it's an interesting approach because I do like when you kind of have to piece things together on your own and you're not just given everything and that's like it's like black and white you're like oh well he's clearly the bad guy here so I did like the way they did that and Jacob was optimistic about the farm from the start Monica remained pessimistic from the start so that was another dynamic that they explored and that dynamic does shift further when the grandmother arrives she brings like a feeling of familiarity for Monica since it is her mother she brings her a lot of stuff from Korea spices and things like that Um, But at the same time, it does seem like the grandma kind of notices that they aren't as strong as a family as they should be. So she tries to help kind of strengthen some of those ties. And like, as I was mentioning, it did feel like it was kind of from the kid's perspective. It kind of focused on David a lot and kind of his relationship with the parents and with the grandma And I think that that's a unique perspective. It kind of reminds you of almost like remembering your childhood. So it kind of made me think that that was how the director was remembering things. Kind of just like what he remembered as a kid. Um, The motivation to stay or leave the farm was also driven by David and his little heart problem. And I mean little just in the sense that he was a little child. I don't think the situation itself was little. So that was kind of a driving factor because the the mom thought that the dad didn't care about them because he brought them out to the farm. But it really was the opposite. He was just trying to achieve what he thought the dream of for the family was. David also has a really sour opinion of the grandma because she's not what he calls a real grandma. And he always is like, why aren't you baking cookies? Why aren't you saying nice things to me? Like he I've um, I initially didn't think this but as I was putting my notes together I thought that maybe in like a a weird like kid way this was like his American dream of having this like very warm grandma figure that you would see in pop culture and other families having so it seemed like he was very insistent on this grandma being a better grandma but ultimately those two just butted heads they picked on each other a lot But I think in the end, the grandma really made the boy stronger, which was kind of the point. Like, you didn't have to have this grandma who just sat around and baked you cookies all the time. Like, she was able to make him a strong kid in her own way. The grandma does also plant the title of the movie, Minari, which is a plant. It's a Korean version of celery that they use in kimchi and soups and for medicinal purposes and as she describes it it's basically like a weed if you plant it in the right spot it'll just grow and grow and grow so she helps she helps get it growing she has david helping her and i think through that process too he kind of becomes a stronger kid um there's a part where she mentioned that they should grow minari on the farm and it kind of gets brushed off but she does it anyway and I that's like the type of thing where you're like okay this is going to probably come back in some way and it did (laughs) spoiler alert (laughs) so the end of the film 
uh, their barn burns down. Long story short, the grandmother unintentionally starts this fire. And it burns all of their crops that they had harvested. That they were just about to start selling to a city buyer in Oklahoma City, I believe it was. Um, But since the Minari wasn't actually growing on the farm and it wasn't in that barn, it survives because it's down by a little creek. And at the end of the movie, ultimately, it shows Jacob and David walking out there and he just kind of is like really impressed that it's there and it has grown so well. And he says something like, your grandma picked a great spot to grow this. And I looked at that as kind of this symbol of hope for him that they still had something to salvage it wasn't all completely lost. The grandma was really looking out for them by planning it. And I had a feeling that it would tie back in somehow. Since also it's the title, it makes you think it has to be significant in some way that this plant is growing. And so I feel like in a weird way, it was like the grandma's actions that ultimately helped strengthen the family's bond, if even it's just for a temporary moment. There's also a scene after the fire that shows them sleeping on the floor in the living room all together, and she's just kind of looking over them. Um, And I think she just finally sees that connection that she needed to see from them. And Jacob ultimately does decide to keep the farm, at least at the film's end we see that, and he tries to find a new water source. And at this point, which is pretty much one of the end scenes, this is the first time that you see Monica out there with him trying to help. Like, she's actually walking along as they're trying to figure out where to set the well up, which up until that point, she hadn't really done anything at all related to the farm. So to me, that kind of just showed that she was willing to give this a little more of a chance and help him pursue this dream that he's had. So I saw the fire as kind of the motivating and driving factor that kind of brought them to this moment And when the fire was actually going on, I literally was looking at it as just like a very literal metaphor of their lives and feeling like their whole life was up in flames at the time. But then ultimately, I think it made them remember what is really important, which is each other. doesn't matter where they are or where they're living, what they're doing. I was like, as long as they stick together as a family. Um, But I did overall find the idea of a conflicting American dream to be intriguing because you always hear that phrase, the American dream, and it clearly means something different to everybody. So then it's just kind of like, how do you achieve that dream that is different as part of the same family? And seeing through a different lens like that is always really enlightening. Um, like, especially just from the immigrant perspective and what it feels like to be in this community that there's nobody like you and you don't speak the language fully and just kind of what those struggles entail. The acting was excellent, of course. Stephen Yoon, who was played Jacob, who uh, was Glenn in The Walking Dead, which was kind of awesome because I liked Glenn's character a lot. He was great. Uh, the grandmother, who was played by Yoon Yeon Jung, and she was excellent too because since she wasn't the traditional stereotypical grandma, she brought a lot of character to it. And, of course, Alan S. Kim as Little David were my standouts. I think they have a high chance of getting nominated for acting. And I think it would be really cool if the little kid got nominated, just because that doesn't happen a lot. I think that would just be, like, really fun kind of a nomination. 
and see him get all excited about it. And it's definitely going to get Oscar nominated as a film, potentially director, potentially cinematography. Those are kind of up in the air for me. Uh, I was reading about it, though, that as of this recording, it is unclear where it's going to land. It's technically a foreign language film, since it is largely in Korean, but the Academy changed the name of that category last year to International Feature, which it definitely is not, as it is completely American-made, even down to the director where it was filmed. So it becomes kind of unclear where they will put it. So it might end up as just the best picture But then my thought is, like, does it limit the chances of it winning by only being a best picture? Like, Parasite had best picture and best international film under its belt. But with such a strong hitter like Nomadland coming in, it's hard to know if this film will get the recognition it might deserve. It might kind of just get overshadowed in the best picture category. So that one will be kind of interesting to see how that plays out. Um, and we will know very shortly, those nominations come out in just a few days here, but we will discuss all of that as it gets announced. So my next episode will naturally be an Oscars nomination reaction episode, just to kind of go through all the nominees that are announced. That comes out in just a few days if you're listening to this podcast as it is being released. And following that, I'm going to tackle some movies that I might not have seen yet that are part of the nomination crowd, but I do have Sound of Metal on deck, and then we'll kind of just go from there. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode, and join me as we go to the movies.